Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis, and on this episode, we're going to talk about Florida sheriffs. We've got some pretty interesting characters as sheriffs throughout the state of Florida, especially in Broward County, where there's going to be a big battle on August 18th between the ousted sheriff, Scott Israel, and the appointed sheriff, Gregory Tony, you might recall Governor Ron DeSantis, when he was elected governor in 2018, promised that he would get rid of the sheriff, Scott Israel, for his bungling of two mass shootings, one at Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport and the other one at Parkland's MSD High School, where 17 students and teachers were shot and killed by Nicholas Cruz, who's still not gone to trial and they're still seeking the death penalty against him. But before I get to that election, which is going to be really, really interesting because it's possible that Scott Israel who was elected twice by Broward County residents could be re-elected, putting some egg on Governor DeSantis's face. But let's talk about my favorite sheriff. My favorite sheriff in all of Florida is the sheriff of Polk County, Sheriff Grady Judd. Here's just one example of why I love Grady Judd. Here's a message for the hotheads of the community. Don't do that stuff. Good people carry guns and they will shoot you a lot. Graveyard dead. Leave people alone. It's a new day in the state of Florida and in the United States. There you go. They'll shoot you graveyard dead. I love that. That was a story about an Uber driver who had actually just finished qualifying to become a police officer and he had just gotten his concealed weapons permit and he gets pulled over by a jealous boyfriend who jumps out of his truck. The girlfriend, by the way, is in the back of the Uber and he says, I've got a gun and I'm going to shoot you. And the Uber driver goes, oh, really? And he shoots him graveyard dead. And Grady Judd's like, it's a beautiful thing. That is the perfect example of stand your ground. Leave the Uber driver alone because he just may be a certified police officer in waiting. And when you force him off of the road and threaten to shoot him with a gun while holding a cell phone in your right hand, which is a shiny object, you could get shot and killed. This is a justifiable homicide all day long. But the case I want to talk to you about that happened in Grady Judd's backyard there in Frostproof on July 17th. It was a Friday night. It was a triple murder. It was totally brutal. I mean, what's more wholesome than going fishing with your best friends on a Friday night in Frostproof, Florida? Here is Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd. I want you to think about this. This is Polk County, Frostproof, the very south end of the county. It's an extremely rural area. The county's 2,000 square miles. It's made up of cow pastures, orange groves, beautiful lakes and a very, very low crime rate in the frostproof area, which is one of the best kept secrets and one of the safest places to live any place in the nation. Well, not anymore. (laughs) Well, sort of it is because they've arrested the one guy who, like, was terrorizing the whole county, but Polk County Sheriff's homicide detectives arrested two brothers and one of the brothers' girlfriend in a triple homicide that happened in the unincorporated area of Frostproof, July 17th, 2020, Friday night. By the way, Frostproof, where there's some orange groves, lots of problems in terms of frost turning oranges black on the tree. Frost is a bad thing for orange growers in Florida. It can really screw up a crop. So Frostproof, That's just like a hopeful name. But on that night, in Frostproof, three best friends met in the serene atmosphere of a beautiful lake to do some fishing when one of the young men calls his father. When I got there, I was looking for my son. It was a mess. 
I, I felt saying I was holding him. He was telling me what happened. I was too shocked. That was Brandon Rollins' father. Brandon called his father as the murders were taking place. All information I have is he made the call when the argument started because by the time dad got there and found his son on the ground gasping his last breath and he's holding his son or he's with his son during the very end of his life. We've tried to comfort dad. The wounds were so severe that quite literally if an emergency room had been across the street, they couldn't have saved his life. But you can't imagine the horror of a dad to find his son shot up. I don't mean shot, I mean shot up, as we say in Polk County vernacular. Multiple gunshots and dying in your arms. When I got there, I was looking for my son. It was a mess. So heartbreaking. And the three friends were slain just moments after gathering at the remote boat ramp at Lake Streety in Frostproof. Now, Sheriff Judd, who's worked at the agency since 1972, called the murder scene horrific, describing the deaths as a massacre. He said the victims are identified as Damian Tillman, who's 23 years old, Kevin Springfield, who was 30, and then there was 27-year-old Brandon Rollins, whose father you just heard, he was able to get that phone call off to his dad before he died. Kevin had been beaten and shot and the rest shot. And Judd says the motive was not fueled by drugs or alcohol of any kind. It wasn't domestic in nature. It didn't revolve around sex. The motive started percolating at the dollar store. When Robert's in line, he hears Damien tell the clerk, we're going fishing. Damien tells the clerk, because the clerk knows everybody, it's a small town. Yeah, I'm going fishing with Kevin. So Robert and TJ are talking, and he says, yeah, Damien's going fishing with Kevin. And TJ says, what? Kevin's going to be there? So when they leave the store, TJ tells Robert, who's driving, go to the lake. Now, they had no plans to go to the lake until TJ told Robert, go to the lake, and they did. The median income in Frostproof is about $30,000, which was the reward for an arrest in this case. When we started receiving Crime Stopper tips and we received them to the point that the call center said we had to bring in extra help. We had people calling from all over the nation about ideas and helping us investigate the crime and what they believed and psychics. But the local tips that came in that were filtered, and there were hundreds that came to us, the predominant information we got was look at T.J. Wiggins from Frostproof. It's not that they had any idea that he did it, but this guy is just mean. He's just violent. He's currently out on bond for breaking a guy's arm with a crowbar during a fight, waiting to go back to trial on other felony charges. But before the arrests were made, detectives received tips that one of the suspects might be a guy named Tony Wiggins. But he's got some arrest history. Everything from burglary and theft to aggravated battery to resisting law enforcement officers to battery on law enforcement officers to battery on people that are 65 years or older, the elderly. He's just wild and hostile. And the people of Frostproof said, look at him. So Grady says they arrested Tony T.J. Wiggins. He's 26. His 27-year-old girlfriend, Mary Whitmore, 
and then Tony's brother, Robert Wiggins, who's only 21, in relation with the three murders. And here's how Sheriff Judd describes TJ in further detail. He's a thug. He's a criminal. He's pure evil in the flesh. He's wild and he's out of control. Mary has zero criminal history. Robert has one misdemeanor arrest. So it's the case of, you know, when you get sucked into the vortex of like an evil, awful person's life, like Tanya Harding sucked Nancy Kerrigan into her crazy redneck world. Same thing happened with this guy, TJ Wiggins and his brother, who's only 21. And then the girlfriend who has like no record whatsoever, but she's defiant. She won't even spell her last name for police. And they all lied about what happened, all three of them. But investigators were able to find a dollar store bag in Damien's red truck with a receipt. That led them to the dollar store where Tony Wiggins, TJ, was positively identified as the person in the video at the store standing behind Damien and talking with him. What we saw when we pulled the videotape was Damien standing in line to check out. The person behind him in line to check out is newsflash TJ. The person behind TJ is Robert. And we also determined that Mary was in the store. At 10.06 p.m., only 10 minutes later, Brandon, who is now in the white pickup truck, frantically calls his dad and says, help. Dad ran to the scene only to find the massacre. So Sheriff Judd says they found the three living in a compound of campers off the grid. And they were living on Sarver Avenue in a family compound of camper trailers. And this is in the woods outside of frostproof, and they were living off the grid. So what does off the grid mean? They had no water, no sewer hookup, no electricity. They had some generators. It's amazing that investigators even found these guys. In fact, after the incident, TJ told the other two, we were never here. Well, Sheriff Judge says that TJ Wiggins was in possession of an arsenal of weapons. Keep in mind, he's a convicted felon, and he immediately lawyered up. We executed a search warrant at the compound. TJ was found to be in possession of two shotguns and two SKS 7.62 rifles. He's a convicted felon. He can't possess firearms, so he was immediately arrested. Our forensic investigations team found one 9mm shell casing, one at TJ's trailer. Now, Mary, the girlfriend, admitted that she bought the ammunition, and they have video of her in the store buying the ammunition for her boyfriend, and then she lawyered up. Now, Judd added that the trio of suspects drove to an undisclosed location after the killings where they stripped down the gun, took it apart, and then threw it away. Sheriff Judd says that the only conflict that he could find that led to the shooting was... Where's my truck? I heard you sold the engine out of my truck. And for that... This guy massacres three young men, 23, 27, and 30, on their way fishing Friday night near Frostproof. It's gut-wrenching. This is a guy who can hurt you just because it's the right thing for him to do at that moment in time with his three brain cells. So what actually happened? How did the crime go down? Now, they had no plans to go to the lake until TJ told Robert, go to the lake. And they did. Damien now is at the lake, and he has met up with, during this time frame, Kevin and Brandon, who are in the white truck. And they have turned their trucks so that they're door-to-door talking to each other in the middle of the road. 
Robert drives and pulls up behind the white truck that's driven by Kevin with Brandon in the passenger side. TJ exited his truck. When he did, Brandon got out of his vehicle and shined a light back to see who was pulling up behind them. TJ rushed up to Brandon, pushed him against the truck, pulled the handgun out, and said, where's Kevin? Well, Kevin's sitting in the driver's seat right there. And he looks and sees Kevin. He runs around between the red truck and the white truck. He points the gun at Kevin, and TJ says, where's my truck? Kevin goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, you do. Where's my truck? You sold the engine out of my truck. Kevin's saying, I don't know what you're talking about. At that moment in time, TJ hits Kevin. Damien starts to open the door of his vehicle and is screaming at TJ, put the gun away, put the gun away, put the gun away. TJ's out of control screaming, where's my truck? And he starts shooting Kevin and Brandon inside of the white truck. It's estimated he shoots him nine to ten times between the two of them. Then he turns on Damien and begins to shoot Damien, who's got his door open but is in his truck several times. Then he goes back to Kevin's truck and during his excitement now he has dropped the magazine to his firearm and he can't find it so he opens the truck door and Kevin falls out on the ground and that's where Kevin's found he finds the magazine to the handgun that he drops when he goes back points the gun back well Robert told detectives he watched TJ shoot all three victims and then TJ asked Robert to help him put Damien in the back of one of the trucks which he threw him in the back and his foot was sticking out. So after the brutal slayings, the three suspects drove to McDonald's where they ordered 10 double cheeseburgers, two McChicken sandwiches, and went home to eat. On Saturday morning, July 18th, Robert took his truck to the car wash in Lake Wales and washed the red clay off of it because they had borrowed the truck and the girl they borrowed it from said, I thought you were just going to drive it to the store and come home and it's got all this mud on it, so they cleaned that and they cleaned it out. Now, what was really the nail in the coffin for T.J. Wiggins was the fact that detectives served a search warrant at the trailer and it yielded ammunition that was compared to the shell casings found at the scene of the triple homicide. Our forensic investigations team found one 9mm shell casing one at TJ's trailer. And the ammunition was sent to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement for testing. FDLE expedited the testing and the results came back positive. The ammunition found in the trailer is the same ammunition fired from the gun that night, a Smith & Wesson handgun. As a result, Sheriff Judd hopes that all this evidence is enough for prosecutors to be able to put the needle in TJ's arm. But everybody knows that Tony Wiggins is the prime suspect for anything that goes wrong. And that's easy to assume when at 26 years of age, he's got 230 felony charges. And he's been arrested consistently from the time he was 12 years old. I'm sure somebody thinks he ought to have counseling and pretrial release. Our goal, and we pray that the state attorney can seek the death penalty. He needs to receive a fair trial, the appropriate appeals, and then be executed. And you know what? Legally, we can't execute him like he did those three guys who were just trying to fish on Friday night, nor would we suggest that the system be as barbaric as his conduct toward our three victims. So Tony T.J. Wiggins is charged with first-degree murder, three charges, tampering with evidence, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and possession of ammunition. 
Robert, his brother, is charged with tampering with evidence, three counts of accessory after the fact of a capital felony, and his girlfriend, who has no record, has now been charged with three counts of accessory after the fact of a capital felony. What boggles my mind is that T.J. Wiggins isn't behind bars before this triple murder. He was charged with 230 felonies, convicted of 15, and he's out on bond for an assault. So T.J. Wiggins, who was accused of pulling the trigger and murdering the three, received no bond. Bail was set for $46,000 for Robert Wiggins and $45,000 for T.J.'s girlfriend, who's now out with an ankle monitor. And as you heard from Sheriff Grady Judd, all the evidence gathered from the matching bullet to the video at the dollar store should be enough ammunition to give prosecutors a slam-dunk case, allowing them to present it to a jury that will hopefully find T.J. Wiggins guilty of three counts of capital first-degree murder, beyond a reasonable doubt. Now, turning to the Florida primary election coming up on August 18th, the big, hotly contested race will be the race for sheriff in Broward County. The incumbent sheriff, which would be Scott Israel, who was replaced by the governor with Gregory Tony. So will he be reelected or will the appointed sheriff, Gregory Tony, be officially elected by Broward voters over Scott Israel? I spoke with both men. We're speaking with the Broward Sheriff Gregory Tony, and you say you're different from the former sheriff, Scott Israel, that you are a cop, not a politician. Do you still plan to run again for sheriff in 2020 as a Democrat? Yes, the, the comparison aspect in terms of me and, and former administrator Scott Israel uh, has never come out of my mouth in terms of looking at what he did and what my goal is. Uh, the focal points of this organization fort and launch and break ground on a lot of different projects that we can do now and could have been done several months ago. And so we're, we're pushing forward with making sure we don't hesitate to act. And to the second part of your question, absolutely, I'll be running in 2020, and I will be running as a Democrat. There's so much to be done here, uh, and I would love for the community to come to an understanding that what we launch today will be built on tomorrow and the years to come. And so I want to be here to see us succeed. Did you notice the subtle differentiation that Sheriff Gregory Tony made that Scott Israel is the former administrator, not sheriff of Broward? And here's my interview with the former sheriff, Scott Israel. All right, we've got a very big primary election coming up in August and then a general election on November 3rd, 2020. And someone who hopes his name will be on the ballot is Scott Israel, the former Broward sheriff, who was just finally dismissed by the Florida Senate in a vote. How are you doing? I'm doing well. When I got back into Broward County from Tallahassee, the text messages, the phone calls, the face-to-face meetings from our community have been uh, uplifting and encouraging. And uh, although what happened up was a sham, it was bogus, what's going to happen down here is going to be real. And the voters, Karen, not only were myself and my family victimized, but the main victims were the Broward County voters who had the 2016 election stolen from them. Well, you were elected in 2012. First, you beat Al Lamberti, and then you were re-elected in 2016. You were elected twice as the Broward County Sheriff. Then in 2017, we had an individual named Esteban Santiago show up at the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport after <clears> the <throat> FBI took his gun away in Alaska and gave it back to him. And then you had, in 2018, the incident in Parkland. So you had two really horrible incidents mass shootings that happened under your watch in Broward County. And at that time, the governor was Rick Scott. You were not suspended under Rick Scott. So what's the difference? The difference is 
Rick Scott was doing what a governor should do. And we're going to talk more about the incidents. They were complete, two completely different incidents yeah. with no connection. But this governor made a campaign promise in 2018 that if elected, he would suspend the Democratic sheriff for Broward County. He suspended me. As he promised, he put in a Republican who immediately switched parties. Oh, um, so Gregory Tony was a Republican and now a Democrat? Yes. I am a Democrat, but there's three Republicans I want to talk about today, Karen. One is Senator Rick Scott, then Governor Rick Scott, who throughout this whole Parkland, you know, aftermath and this tragedy that happened there, never suspended me because there was no reason to suspend me. The Sheriff Gualtieri, who was in charge of the Marjorie Stoneman, the chairman of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Commission, he got on television and said, there's no malfeasance, there's no misfeasance, there's no reason to suspend the sheriff. And then the third Republican is their referee, their umpire, uh, Senator Galvano selected Dudley Goodlett as the special master. They said that Dudley Goodlett comes with honor, integrity, and courage. But we're not going to listen to him. And I found out he did come with all three of those things, but we're not going to listen to him because it didn't, it's not what we wanted. So should the sheriff be elected in Florida? Absolutely. Because you're not... Why it becomes political, though? But it's going to be political. A great question. And, and my thought is it's going to be political anyway because if you did not elect a sheriff, the commission would, the only other way to go would be your county commission, and that would be all political too. I believe whenever a decision could be made by a commission or the voter, I believe that it's best to go to the voter. Now, your opponent, Gregory Tony, who was appointed by the governor, he's not as much of a self-promoter as you are. You are very good with the public. That's why I'm wondering how this race is going to go. Do you think he's doing a good job in I'm, your stead? You know what? I'm, I'm not even focused on him. The operative thing is he should not be here. He should not be in this position. This was stolen. This, this position was stolen from the voter. And then he puts in a Republican who had about five or six years of police service. It's just one in of those. In Coral Springs, right? Yes, it's uh, Coral well, Springs. It's interesting because they have opened up a 26,000 square foot strategic command and intelligence center that monitors the 260 public schools administrative buildings in Broward County with live video feeds. Did you begin that? I did, Karen. It's, it's very disappointing to see anybody take credit for what another person accomplished. And as long as it gets done and makes the county safer, I'm okay with it. The person, uh, Mike Riggio, who's in charge of this project, was brought down by me and became a member of the Broward Sheriff's Office in June of 2018. Gregory didn't become the sheriff until January of 2019. So you had already begun uh, this. We had work. already begun everything. I had begun the. I had worked with Bob Runcie to. I worked very hard to get permission from his legal people for us to take over the video feeds at uh, at any time there's uh, you know exigent circumstances. So this whole project was begun by our administration, and another project our administration begun was this training center. We met with architects as early as 2017 and put the plans in place and to build upward and to have a parking garage and a training center and he's taking credit for that as well but 
if something doesn't come out in the wash, it'll come out in the rinse. So oh. it'll come out. That's when you answered Jake Tapper with the, if some butts were candy and nuts, yes. whatever. And he's like, there's 17 people dead. I, you know, you just have a way with words. That's how you express yourself. You're kind of like the president that way. Uh, Robert Runcie has a contract. And so the voters of Broward County had the ability to put new people on the school board that would either get rid of him, you know, similarly to what happened to you. And they didn't. So what does that tell you about the voters in Broward County? That they're not fooled by this charade that what the Senate did was deal off the bottom of the deck and the Broward County voter is not tricked by that. They understand what I have meant to the county and I understand what they've meant to me. I'd like to go back to the airport if we could. Yes, go ahead. Um, Thanks, Karen. A man goes into the FBI office with a gun and tells him he's hearing voices. The FBI takes the gun away from him, and they arrange for him to get evaluated, see if he has a mental illness. The FBI is ordered to give back his firearm by a judge. He gets on a plane with that firearm legally. And how did he get a Florida driver's license? I don't know. That's the weirdest thing. That's the weirdest thing. I I don't know. But he gets on a plane. He flies from Anchorage to Minnesota, from Minnesota to Delta. He gets off the plane in Delta. He gets his baggage off. He walks to a bathroom, loads his gun up, kills five people, and shoots others. And the governor wants to blame me. That's, it's bizarre. Well, I was there that day. Law I know you fo- were. Law enforcement never came together and performed the, the, the cohesion, the planning, the organization. It was exemplary. And, and to those first responders, but I my covered household. it and it wasn't exemplary. It seemed like it was a mess because the airport wasn't shut down. You had people sitting on the tarmac in airplanes for hours. You had people running on the tarmac. I guess the radio system there was antiquated. There was a lot of things, yes. but you thought there was another shooting in the parking garage. And it just seemed to be granted the initial crime, which he laid down and let your deputy arrest him. He, had, he was out of ammunition. That should have been the end of it, but then it turned into this big thing. Do you own any of that? It was chaos and confusion. That's what's supposed to happen when you have a mass shooting, chaos and confusion. But the way that the agencies controlled it was exemplary. And let's take a look at it. There were 22,000 people estimated to be at the airport that day running haphazardly on planes, as you say, on tarmacs, waiting to get onto planes in areas. A group of passengers ran out of the airport. Uh, Who would have made the decision to shut the airport down? I did eventually. You eventually did. I did. And the reason I did that is as a group of passengers were running out of the building, a woman, plus her heart, she actually made what's a pretty wise decision. She said, I'll just run into a police car and stay there as a safe haven until the deputy gets back. So she tried the front passenger door, it was locked. She tried the rear passenger door to get in, and as she opened the rear passenger door, it was a canine. Oh. So the canine bit her on the arm, and she succumbed to all the craziness going on. And when she went to the ground, People who had already run to the parking garage saw her bleeding from the arm from the oh, dog and bite. They and they said, she, another shooting, another shooting. Got it. So I'm saying to myself, this could be another 9-11. So now we, you know, where we had ta- North Tower, South Tower, Pennsylvania, the, the Pentagon. I'm thinking maybe this is a planned attack. So we shut down the airport. We got in 17 SWAT teams working together to clear seven parking garages. It was a massive, massive undertaking. No one else was injured. Uh, As you said, the killer was taken into custody by 72 seconds by a deputy who ran towards the gunshots. 
unlike Peterson. But it was the same sheriff, same training, same policies. He knew what to do. Well, let me ask you, because now Peterson is telling the judge that they should drop the criminal charges against him because this Florida Senate found you culpable for what happened. And so, therefore, the onus is off of him. What do you think of that? That's exactly what Senator Lauren Book said would happen. She was prophetic. All I can tell you is, whatever else he says, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the governor's investigating agency, arrested Scott Peterson. He was charged by the Broward County State Attorney. And in the affidavit of arrest, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement says that Scott Peterson, by his own admission, had the training, actually instructed teachers and others on how to handle themselves in an active shooter situation. So you don't think your policy of may instead of shall go in had any effect on him? First of all, let's get this clear. That may policy isn't something I invented. That policy is throughout the United States yeah, I mean, of America. Does a, pl- does a police officer have to actually go in if he's got a Glock and the shooter has a machine gun or an AR-15? Do they have to go in? That's why I put the word may in. Our, our deputies know that our training was right on industry standard. If There's you nothing had been wrong there, with. would you have gone in? I absolutely would have gone in, and so would most other deputies. But what may, and, and I'm, I'm not uh, an administrator. I was a tactician. I was a SWAT team member, a SWAT commander. If you look at any policy in America with shall, there's always a caveat. After shall, it says, however, if the deputy or if the officer sees this. For example, if a deputy or a police officer dies while entering in to help people, he can't help those people. He can't shoot the killer. He can't take the killer into custody. He can't barricade the killer. And he can't start using tourniquets and blood clots to help people. You've got to get in alive and perform your duties. So if you're approaching a door and you're going to go in the door, you feel that's the closest, quickest way to confront the killer. And on your way into the school or the way into the building, somebody says to you, I just saw them booby trap that door. It's ready to blow. Are you going to shall go in? Of course you're not going to go in. You're not going to go in to commit a suicide mission. You die and not be able to help anybody else. All may means is find another way in. If that's not the quickest way in where you could get in, get in, get in quickly. You're not going to get in safely because there's an active killer. But don't commit a suicide mission. Get in, take care of business and do what you have to do. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the May policy. You also tried to fix the 911 system, which you wanted to have an umbrella instead of all this mismatch stuff going on, which backfired that day. Yes, there's two communication issues I'll discuss. One is the radio system. And for all your listeners, the radio system belongs to Broward County. It's not mine to own. It's not mine to fix. I have no power over it. Their money, their funding, they own the radio system. Asking me to fix the radio system or handle the radio system is asking me to fix your house. We're just a user, like Margate, like Coral Springs, or they're not a user. Uh, or, yeah, but uh, you told Coral Springs, hey, you need to come over and use our equipment, right? Many, many. Con- so and, they and were I- getting real-time information, and you guys were, the cameras in there, that's why this new facility is good, because it's real-time. Real-time, The cameras yeah. were behind, right? Yeah, and they were. And Coral Springs Police Department was receiving information from a dispatcher who was receiving information from people who were in the school, students and teachers. They were getting real-time intel. We, the Broward Sheriff's Office, were getting information from only Scott Peterson. 
and Scott Peterson over his radio was saying things like, maybe a shooting on the football field, stay 500 feet back. The, the information was completely different. Well, who sent the call out to BSO? Oh, because he was on the, the ground, so he heard the shots and called BSO. Right. He, but Coral Springs got the 911 calls. Exactly. As Peterson is approaching the school, the first transmission, I believe you hear is him saying, I, I think I might hear a sound of what might be fireworks. Mm-hmm. And then he, seconds later, he goes, um, I hear gunshots. I hear gunshots. And then he tells units, set up a perimeter, Holmberg Road, 500 feet back. If you're a responding deputy, you're relying on on Scott Peterson. You're going to do what he says to do. Is he criminally negligent? I'm not a lawyer. I don't I don't know that. I mean, uh, I I really don't know. I mean, um, well, okay. so when you ran for sheriff, you kind of ran on the platform that you wanted to focus on keeping kids out of jail, address the disadvantaged members of the community including the homeless and the mentally ill. Is that accurate? That's accurate. But when I say kids out of jail, I'm not talking about violent offenders. We're talking about nonviolent misdemeanors. Well, that's why, weren't there 39 or more calls to the, well, 23 specifically about Nicholas Cruz. So over a six-year period, 39 calls. I mean, you as the sheriff, if this hasn't come up the pipeline that he's has an arrest record, then... Well, if every single call over those year-long period, if every first responder, every clinician, if everybody handled those calls properly, documented everything they were supposed to document, this tragedy still would have happened. As the chairman of the Stoneman Douglas Commission said, him being in the Promise program was a red herring. There were no laws in effect. We have all these red flag laws that came up out of it now. And as I said all along, police officers and first responders need more empowerment. You need the ability to take guns away from people. Yeah, at the time, if you had seen his posts on social media, would you have been able to do anything about it? No, you wouldn't. wouldn't. That's what I'm saying. Now you could do a little bit more and everything like that. But the responsibility for the taking of lives, the responsibility for the killing, as it did in the airport— rest with that killer, the responsibility is solely on the killer. He's in custody, he's awaiting trial, looking at the death penalty. Do you think he should get penalty. the death penalty, or do you think uh, that uh, they should let him plead and yeah, get a life? I, I think he should get the death penalty. So let's look at the election coming up in 2020, Hope if you're on the ballot. The people of Broward County are not just the people of Parkland. And you had four senators from Broward County that voted they for didn't, reinstatement. For, for reinstatement. They didn't want to uphold the governor's suspension. So who's endorsing you and why should the people of Broward County vote for you because you've been suspended? Well, a few reasons. First of all, they should vote for me because the election was stolen from them. They should get their, quote, property back. They should get their sheriff back. You're right. My wife and I pray every day for the people of Parkland. We raised our kids in Parkland. We lived right across the street from Stoneman Douglas High School. My triplets at one time were in that very very building. Um, uh, it, it, it was incredibly tough. It still is. Not as tough as it is on the families. Uh, I understand that. But a sheriff of any county in America, Karen, is not the sheriff for one group of people or one town or one city or one airport or one port. You're the sheriff for everybody in that county. And in Broward County, that means you're the sheriff of two million people and one million voters. And the sheriff should be the person that the most people vote for. And that's what we plan on doing. Okay, so finally, I think 
part of the image issue that you have is that you actually it's not just you. No one has owned this situation, not so much the airport, but the Parkland shooting. No one has owned it. You've got Scott Peterson saying, well, the Senate blamed Scott Israel. You know, have you ever really owned what happened? Do you want to take responsibility, as Truman said, the buck stops here? Well, the buck does stop here. And, and with any leader, I'm responsible for everything that went on for the six years I was sheriff at the Broward Sheriff's Office for good and bad. Uh, and when you work with 6,000 people, believe me, there's good and bad. I'm responsible for fixing problems. I'm responsible for, for disciplined people if necessary. I'm responsible for commending people who were heroes. You're responsible for, you know, uh, reading after action reports as we've always done and then implemented changes. When we found out that a SWAT operator got shot in the head at the Pulse nightclub but had a Kevlar helmet on and lived, I went out and purchased Kevlar helmets for all our deputies. You're responsible for fixing problems and issues. But am I culpable or responsible for the deaths of, of any of those 17 people? Uh, no, that's just with the killer. What about your behavior after with the CNN, Town Hall, some of the ways you were perceived? Was, Would you like it, to redo that? Of course. Uh, you know, I, we don't get mulligans in, in life. We get mulligans on golf courses. No excuse at all. You know, it was a brutal four days for my family, the, the, the families in Parkland, of course, and what they went through, the whole county. But because of the once the Peterson issue became public, many people were lambasting the Broward Sheriff's Office, and they were criticizing deputies and calling the whole agency an agency of cowards. And you went on scene and, and said, I'm a scene. great leader. I, I said, I provide amazing leadership. That's not, first of all, I don't grade myself. That's for other people to judge. I don't think I'm an amazing leader. What I wanted to say, and I did a very poor job, and I apologize for that, is I wanted to say, judge these men and women by the totality of what they do, and you'll see amazing accomplishments at the Broward Sheriff's Office, the amazing accomplishments by the people who work there. That's what I wanted to say. You were disappointed in Scott Peterson, but not by the rank and file of the BSO. Exactly. You got money? Are people funding your campaign? Has it begun? What's the status? It's begun, and, uh, you know, we're the top fundraiser right now, and, you know, we're confident and not cocky. We're going to work hard. And in 2016, when we got reelected, we won by the largest margin in the history of Broward County. We got over a half a million votes. It's a lot of votes and a lot of people. The other thing that's just mind-boggling is that Governor DeSantis says if you should win re-election, he will not suspend you again. Shouldn't have suspended me the first time. What does that mean? What's the difference? If he doesn't think you're a good sheriff, you're not a good sheriff. Yeah, so, I mean... The, I don't know if it has to do with the law and the one thing... There's no way a, he can prevent it? Or? Yeah. I, I, what does that say? It says to me that... I don't know. I, I, It'd be like the president I, being impeached, running again, and winning re-election, and they may impeach him again. Who knows? Yeah, there's no. There was absolutely no reason to suspend me. It was. It was partisan. It was political. But do you think that you were suspended mostly for the things that we've talked about after the fact of how you spoke about it and handled it, rather than the actual what happened that day well, on I February fourteenth? I think I was suspended because he, as a Republican, made an election promise and 
nothing more, not, you know, nothing more, nothing less. So it was more partisan uh, than rather the things that you'd more, rather take a mulligan not, on. Not more partisan, completely partisan. I mean, but I, but Rick Scott didn't, and he's a Republican, right? Because he he was he knew there was no reason to suspend me. Uh, he wrote, but he ch- also needed Broward County because he was running for yeah. Senate. Wouldn't you think the governor needed Broward County? He was running for governor. It was a political process. They didn't concern themselves with the evidence. And their special master, their referee, said, reinstate the sheriff. There's no reason to suspend him. There were some individual failures that cannot be blamed on him. Put him back. And they didn't do it. All right. So what do you have to tell the voters of Broward County about Scott Israel now? Nothing they don't know. Have you changed at all? You learn things from every critical incident and hopefully you're reading and you're implementing them and you're making you know your agency and your county better i guess but, you could argue that you've been through these things that makes you an even better sheriff because you've lived through them and you've learned from them i'm vetted i have 40 years in law enforcement i rose through the ranks i was a police chief i attack those who commit violent crimes, and by attack, I mean we go after them to arrest them. Uh, we go after armed robbers, armed burglars, murderers. Those are the people that we go after. I believe in diversion programs. I want to give kids second and third chances when they commit nonviolent misdemeanors. I don't want to end the life over a, a nonviolent misdemeanor. But those who deserve to have their life ended, like a Nicholas Cruz, you're all for it. I know how to put handcuffs on people when necessary. All right. Thank you, Scott Israel. You're welcome. Enjoyed it. So there you have it. I, of course, will let you know how the August 18th primary election goes, especially in Broward County, for the sheriff shuffle. Don't forget to go out and vote. It really is important this year. Needless to say. That wraps up Full Rigor. Thank you for joining me. Until next time. Your story. It lives in River City, where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel, where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another, where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.